your responsibility to do something about it. Well, I, uh, I have the key in my hand. All I have to find is the lock, the lock, the lock, the lock. Now listen to me, all of you. Welcome back to Evoke. I am so excited for this episode with Chantal Raven. She's one of the leading authorities on Tantra in the world, creator of the Embodied Awakening Academy, which I just spent a week at her Tantra school, which I did after we filmed this episode. Oh my God, blew my mind. Absolutely profound teachings that just go beyond anything that you've ever learned anywhere. I'm still processing them. She's one of the toughest, fiercest, most embodied women. And I've got to tell you, I was skeptical about Tantra until I met Chantel and her partner, Aaron Kleinman. Uh, they both, to me, uh, they embody so much trust and stability and kindness and wisdom and uh, are definitely spiritual masters. But they had a whole life before that of in the quote-unquote normal world. Uh, and they were very successful, and I'm always drawn to people like that. I just resonate with them more. So Chantel is a lawyer from Melbourne, Australia, an educator from Rudolf Steiner, prestigious school, and a mother of two. She worked in the corporate world, kicked ass, made a lot of money, and one day in her 30s got cervical cancer, which spawned the end of her old life and the beginning of her new life, all surprisingly through the teachings of Tantra, which is a bit confusing because we think that Tantra is just about sexuality, but that was one of the things that I learned. It's not. So... If you've ever been interested in learning more about Tantra, this is the podcast for you. We sort of jump right into the meat of it, which is what I like to do. And then we get into Chantel's life and then some teachings. So if this podcast piques your interest, I ask you to check out the show notes where you can find her Embodied Awakening website, all of her socials, and all the info to learn more. There's even a special code for you uh, with a discount code. So without further ado, we're going to go straight into it. This is a question I think about a lot in my writing, in my work, in my brain, and you're the perfect person to ask. I want to know, what is intimacy? Intimacy is, you know, into me, you seeing another and allowing yourself to be seen, which is difficult. Not just seen when you're happy, not just seen when you're orgasmic or in bliss, but seen when you're having a hard time, seen when things aren't going so well. And we all go through days that are difficult and then days that are amazing. But it's like, you know, have you ever heard people say, oh, I didn't want to come out because I was feeling shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, fucking come out anyway. Mm-hmm. I've you been know. that person so many times. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I guess it's because I didn't feel safe to not be on. Mm-hmm. We don't maybe feel safe to be on. I don't know. What do you? Why do you feel like people don't want to be seen i think because we're taught from a very early age to wear a mask Mm. of good girl or good boy or happy girl happy boy and the global representation of that is so glaringly obvious at the moment with everyone wearing masks Mm -hmm. you know it's like whatever we're celebrated for as children that's the face we're happy to see Mm -hmm. for people to see to own and most of us are celebrated when we're in our joy, right? When we're doing well. But when we're not doing well or when we're feeling sad or angry, it's like, go to your room. Mm. Or, oh, you know, well-meaning parents try to fix us and say, oh, come over here and look at this and trying to cheer us up. And we get the message that it's not okay to feel angry. It's not okay to feel sad. Or if, you know, we don't do well at something, oh, you'll do better next time. Mm. And, you know, we're constantly, 
that there's so much agenda mm-hmm. growing up from people around us where they want us to get things right yeah. or they want to fix us. Kind of the point maybe that you get it with a lot of your teachings, maybe in Tantra teachings, is that it's okay to feel how you are, mm-hmm. even if that's not good. Yeah, I mean, it's the one spiritual tradition that really embraces every aspect of the human experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sexuality is included. Emotions are included. Darkness is included, as well as the light, as well as, you know, connecting to spirit through stillness. Mm. So that we can connect to spirit in so many ways. And we are spiritual beings mm-hmm. having this human experience. So if we're not looking at the whole human experience, it's not it. Mm-hmm. You know, or if we're staying in our heads, it's not it. Mm-hmm. And Tantra really takes things into the body which is why I love it so much, because that's where the real change happens. Has spirituality always been with you? Spirituality has always been with me because my dad was an emotional freedom technique practitioner mm. and a personal development coach, but he was also he also had a building company, right? Mm. So I've always had kind of my feet in both worlds, so to speak. But the spiritual lineage that I was really being held under with my father was very masculine. What do you mean by that? So a lot of stillness meditation, a lot of witnessing emotions rather than actually fully feeling affirmations and intellectual pursuit, understanding things logically about, you know, where attention goes, energy flows and your dreams can become a reality if you apply the right intention. Now, a lot of the kind of grandfathers and grandmothers of spiritual development and personal development I had playing in the car on my way to school, Marion Williamson, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Louise Hay, all of those teachers. And and I learned a lot. It set a really good foundation for me. But yeah, I I wasn't spiritual in the sense that I didn't have a practice. I didn't know myself. I didn't know the truth for me. And yeah, I got a law degree. I did honors in philosophy, a certificate for in anthroposophy, which is the Steiner education. And I had two children uh, from my first child at 25, my second child when I was 30. So really there's, there's been a spectrum of different experiences that I've felt or stages in my life where, you know, I was married for 10 years, living, living in a beautiful big house with an amazing husband, raising children, living in the corporate world. But on the side, there was always some connection to the spiritual path. So, you know, I also ran a business called Harmonious Mother, Harmonious Baby Mm. and wrote a couple of books and taught the Steiner way of doing things, which is an alternative mode of education that takes into account that a child has an emotional body that needs to be flourishing as well as an intellectual component to their to themselves and you know that there's a rhythm an energetic rhythm to a child that needs to be taken into account and all of these wonderful things so yeah I was teaching workshops about that about spiritual parenting and in the corporate world I was training sales teams and incorporating a lot of you know Anthony Robbins Mm -hmm. and that kind of personal development you can do what you set your mind to. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always been a powerful manifester. I've always done whatever my visions have said that I've wanted. But there was a deeper part of me that was constantly unsatiated. And I had a lot of anxiety, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would wake up feeling anxious and I'd feel anxious before sleep and not know why. And yeah, then I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. At what age? 
30 mm. or, or 31. Wow. And I, you know, I grew up with the understanding that whatever manifests physically has a energetic resonance to it. Mm-hmm. And that dis-ease is exactly that. There's a, there's a dis-ease with something going on. So it got me questioning. I'm like, you know, there's something I'm doing wrong. I've got cervical cancer. What's the message, right? Yeah, like, what, what, what's... Type of thing. Yeah, yeah, what's mm-hmm. the message? And, yeah, I, I was listening to Louise Hay meditations and doing, doing all the things that I would usually do, tapping and EFT. And then I thought, you know, there must be something else. So one of my friends, she said to me, hey, you know, my ex is in town. He's a shaman and he travels around the world healing people of cancer. So do you want to have a session with him? I'm like, yeah, sure. And that was the beginning of the end of my old life and the beginning of a completely new Mm. life where I started to discover um, the powerful subtleties of the energetic and emotional body were you a bit cynical even though you came from a somewhat alternative upbringing were you still a bit cynical to shamanism i wasn't cynical about shamanism what i was cynical about was my that i was angry or that i had i was so i'd been so in the love and light Mm -hmm that it had drenched my whole being. Like a and spiritual bypassing type thing. Yeah, like, like he was saying to me. Intellectualizing that you were okay. Yeah, and, and he was saying, and I felt okay, you know, mm. most of the time, other than in the morning and at night time. And then sporadically, and I would just be, I would just go into meditation, witness it, and it would pass. Mm-hmm. Or I would tap on it. So when he started saying to me, you know, you have anger and resentment and that's what's created the cancer kind of diagnosis. <laughs> I'm like, I don't feel angry about anything. And he's like, what about this? What about that? I said, no, you know, I can see with compassion why that happened or I've forgiven the person who raped me and all of these different things. And he wasn't buying it. (laughs) And then, you know, one session he was really pushing me. And then I'm like, you're making me angry. And he kept pushing and then I just let out an almighty roar and I actually pushed him from one side of the room to the other. Oh, my God. And, and then I thought, yeah, maybe there's some anger here. Yeah. And there was so much fucking anger. I was angry at every man that had ever been in my life, including my father who had completely pedestaled and not realised that I had anger towards. I was really pissed at my mother. Um, I, I had so many longings that I'd never recognised, deep, deep longings to be seen, to be felt in a different way, to be journeying with a partner who was more aligned with my values. Mm. And I'd pushed a lot of it aside because I was like, oh, you know, you you should be grateful for what's here. And Mm. I would do my gratitude practice every day. And so, yeah, Tantra for me was really about owning my darkness. How did you get from this experience with the shaman to tantra so he was a tantric master got it. i just didn't know it so our first session together was five hours and it ended in yab yum what's yab yum <laughs> yab yum like a is, chinese food it's like if you've seen any of the kind of iconic tantra pictures where there's buddha and then there's a woman mm-hmm. on top you know with her legs wrapped around yeah 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 that's yab yum where all of your chakras are lined up and you're connecting to god through the body, through mm. connecting at, at all of the different, your energy centre, your heart centre, your animal centre, 
and it's this beautiful space of yeah true intimacy I think the spiritual path is always about truth Mm. and with sexuality it's no different and you know a lot of people think that tantra is all about sex Mm -hmm. or they and they also conflate it with the kama sutra yeah totally different things right yeah absolutely and really like sexuality is a part of tantra Mm -hmm. but because it's not excluded like in other spiritual traditions Mm -hmm. that's all that's noticed and also that's such a market marketable aspect of tantra that a lot of teachers just kind of grab that and run with it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's like any other aspect of the human experience. It can lead to truth. What I started to discover was that I hadn't been in my truth was that I need to be seen to be turned on. My truth was that I need slow, sensual touch before I can get to the more fiery touch. My truth was that I need to be actually met in the subtle realms before I can go to the gross realms. And it's different gross for realms everyone. Gross like uh, orgasm. No, like physical. physical. Gross means physical. Got it. And, yeah, I'm multi-orgasmic and orgasming the whole time I'm making love now. But before Tantra, it was this chase just for the genital orgasm. So I realized so much of my potentiality sexually, so much of my potentiality emotionally, so much of my potentiality in the way I was living my life, Tantra really opened me to, wow, I can live in community. That's Mm. a huge part of Tantra. You know, I'm surrounded by like-minded people who I love. And it also took me out of that kind of, I, I was, I feel like looking back, I was stuck in this shadow mother archetype in some ways where I was sacrificing a lot of who I was and thinking that made me a good mum and certainly joyful sacrifice is a part of motherhood but it needs to be joyful sacrifice Mm. and now I've learned to trust that if I'm following my heart and following my path and my children are getting a transmission of that Mm. that they can imitate that that's just as powerful if not more than joyful sacrifice. Mm, I love that. I, I would actually, I'd want to come back to that, but there was something you said prior that I wanted to ask. You were talking about uh, conflating Tantra with truth, mm-hmm. and you were saying how Tantra allowed you to discover more of your truth and more of your feelings that were suppressed. Would you, is it suffice to say that the disconnection from you and your truth was related or correlated to a bit of a disconnection between you and your body because you were so absolutely yeah and and just conditioning Mm -hmm. I was basically a product of my mother and my father like Mm -hmm. we all are until we're not I had I had this masculine that was very aligned with you know like Buddha kind of Christ energy and also that was, you know, my dad's Sicilian and an amazing mm. businessman. So, you know, I still have that and I love that. And I also still have that connection to meditation. But his masculine was very sacrificial. You know, his masculine was going to the light all the time and not really feeling what he needed. Mm. And not going for the things that really meant freedom to him. Like what? What would that mean for your dad? So, like, for starters, he's Italian and from a different generation. So it's like, look after, be the provider, mm-hmm. look after your family. Mm-hmm. And, and also his, his parents' dynamic was that his dad was very quiet 
and his mum was fucking crazy, right? <laughs> so, of course, my mum was fucking crazy and he was very quiet. Because we pattern our parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mum's also beautiful and amazing and spirited, but she's she's a firecracker. <laughs> so I, I had this split in my being where I had this firecracker of a feminine, mm-hmm. this silent kind of meditating masculine that was amazing at business. Mm. And... Because I found my relationship with my mother so challenging, I'd really suppressed my feminine. My association with the feminine was, you know, controlling and overbearing and, um, yeah, when the emotional body gets activated, crazy. And it was hard for me to see, which I can see now, that she was also friggin' amazing. You know, there were so many amazing qualities about her. That I, that I couldn't see, so I'd repressed a lot of my feminine. But when she came out, it was this stressed, controlling feminine, and I would constantly berate myself for that. And as I discovered later, that was the anxiety, was that there was that alive in me and it would seep out. And then, you know, the love and light, spiritual Chantal would really judge that mm. part of me. And I think that's how a lot of people live their lives. Mm. You know, is it suppressed? Then things seep out. Then yeah, they judge it. Yeah. And then, oh, that's not me. Yeah. That's not my character. I was just drunk. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, in a moment of trigger, where you you've got no control and you go into the fight or flight. I would go into that fight or flight response Mm -hmm. and, yeah, act like a crazy bitch Mm -hmm. and then think, how did I do that? You know, I understand all of that so much more deeply now. And I used to understand it at a psychological level. Mm -hmm. But when I would get triggered, I would just, like, fly off, you know, and be in that wounding. I think this is a perfect segue into what I've been wanting to ask you, Mm -hmm. which is why – and I'm from – I'm American, so I'm speaking more – from America's point of view, the world's gone pretty mad or maybe it always has been mad and we mm-hmm. just are now looking at it <laughs> with a with more truth in totality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it seems like maybe democracy is at stake in America. Everyone's really separated between party lines and race and all these things. Why why is Tantra relevant? How could, how could Tantra teachings help heal people can they help heal mm-hmm. people well because it take you know back to the beginning of our conversation it takes the masks off mm. it says can you just be authentic and real and mm. a lot of what's happening on the planet is coming from this fear space mm-hmm. of wanting power over because mm. there's no true power lived in the souls of most people right mm. but but like uh you people don't have power you're saying or you're saying they are not recognizing that their true power in them I think both, Mm. actually. They don't have power either because they're not feeling, Mm. right? It's like if – and they're not having a healthy connection to sexuality. Mm. You know, if more men were holding their cocks and feeling the power of their cocks to heal and to penetrate with love, Mm. they wouldn't need to hold guns. Mm. (laughs) You know, if more women were feeling the power of their hearts and the power of their love – they wouldn't need to go into competition with one another, turn mm-hmm. their backs on one another. Mm. There's, there's so much healing that happens in the world of Tantra through really just letting ourselves be ourselves mm. and to have a field. You know, what I love about the retreats I run and getting groups of people together in authenticity is that they get to 
talk about their desires and fantasies. They get to cry together. They get to be in pleasure together, laugh together, cuddle together. What the world needs is people holding each other more. You know, we're isolating. That is, and, and the lock, this is like, to me, so many things about the current state of affairs are representative of why Tantra is so needed because that isolation and lockdown that's happening is such a glaring representation of what this world has come to. You know, everyone is shutting themselves up on their phones, you know, before Corona. And as you beautifully put it, the world was already fucking mad. It was, and I even saw Now it it's in, just obvious. Yeah, I saw it even in dating culture, you know, with, um, with like Tinder and all the different apps. It's like it became so easy and abundant for people to just hook up with one another, but they're not actually having mm-hmm. soul connection or looking each other in the eyes that's like weird for people to look Mm -hmm. each other in the Mm -hmm. eyes and uh everything just is so it's almost like fast food but for people and it's not meaningful it's Mm -hmm. very uh it it it, i saw that and i just felt and i'm not like a new person to have this idea but i just felt like this can't be good this can't be good for humans but you know it's it's not but then it's so fair enough and valid like i remember when i first started going to tantra retreats or like even being with this man who was more tantric and he would look at me and I would want to giggle or yeah. look away. Yeah. Because we're not used to that. Our education system is all just mind, mind, mind. Yeah. And, you know, again, well-meaning teachers, well-meaning parents, even well-meaning spiritual teachers, they're, they're conditioning us to believe that we have to be perfect, Right. And that understanding is more important than feeling. Mm. And, the, and what that takes me to is that what tant- real Tantra gives is a feminine framework of spirituality. Mm. And yeah. Chills. Which is so <laughs> funny, isn't it? Because intellectually, uh, it seems that the masses or we can all get behind feminism. But feminism to me, so, so we're intellectually behind this idea of females rising and of course, we want that in the world. We want females to have equal pay and we want them to have power and all these things, of course. But what I don't think is being connected there is this idea of the different energies mm-hmm. and how a feminine energy is feeling. Mm-hmm. So there's, it almost feels like a hypocrisy or just not a, a lack of full understanding of what it actually means for feminine mm-hmm. power to rise. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those conversations... I don't know, they're not being had a lot, mm-hmm. at least in mainstream. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're, they're not being held a lot I feel in general at an authentic level because this idea of feminism was actually women just you know burning their bras and becoming more masculine right that's what mainstream people don't understand but what spirituality I think misses sometimes in this feminine rising is what I see I guess as an older woman I'm 43 and I see a lot of young women thinking that they're in their feminine power when they're just fucking divas with their noses in the air waiting for a man to show up Mm. and meet them, Mm. you know, and this is what I hear, like, I don't think a man can meet me. Mm. And that's not, the feminine is love and devotion. Mm. The feminine is a space of really, can I keep the heart open no matter what? And that doesn't mean being treated like shit, which Mm. is what I used to think. So I want to share something about this because it's pertinent to true feminine power. So when I was in my love and light mm-hmm. era, <laughs> I wanted to yeah. be this unconditionally loving 
perfect woman, right? Did you have a Did you have a a role model for that? Somebody that you saw? No, it was just it was something you constructed of your own version. Of what yourself. I'd read, mm-hmm. you know, what I heard a lot from Marianne Williamson, mm-hmm. love her. Um, yeah, and and yeah. Louise Hay, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, my dad trained me mm-hmm. to to be that, and you know, he's so freaking amazing, and it wasn't intentional, but. A lot of the virtues he taught me because he wasn't also encouraging the deep feeling of the feminine and the deep connection to my own needs and my own longings, there was that bypass that Mm -hmm. you named. So, yeah, I used to think that unconditional love meant that you love people unconditionally. So no matter what they're doing, or you you keep loving them, which Mm -hmm. meant I was getting walked all over in different areas of my life. Mm. And I was tolerating and I was like, did you think you were superior on some level because you could hold that pain and disrespect in the name of having such an open heart and love? No, I never had that shadow. Actually, I more had this space of feeling not good enough whenever I couldn't do that. Mm, so it. if I was in judgment, mm-hmm. I would be like, oh my god, you know, why am I judging that person? And then I would like write notes to myself. When something shows up, just release your expectation and. And, you know, my husband was so beautiful and it's not like he ever mistreated me, but there were just certain places I wasn't being met sure. and I didn't know how to ask for what I needed. Mm. So part of my teachings is really acknowledging and recognising that the feminine, actually, if she can feel into her deepest needs and communicate that and know her worth to communicate that, that's something that really helps us to grow and expand And what's shifted for me about unconditional love is can I love myself and another with whatever's showing up inside of me? Mm. So even when I'm feeling fucked, Mm -hmm. even when I want to run, even when I want to fight, can I still hold love, right? That doesn't mean anything other than whatever words I'm saying, whatever action I'm taking is coming from love. Mm -hmm. Now, that also doesn't mean that sometimes that doesn't look nasty. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I'm triggered or angry, I will just fucking rage Mm -hmm. and I'll get a pillow and I'll smash it and I'll say, you stupid fuck. (laughs) And I'll really just let the pillow have it and imagine that person and get it off my chest. Mm. And sometimes I'll let them have it face-to-face, which isn't (laughs) ideal. You know, a lot of my practices, what they're centred around is in those moments when it's so hard, when we want to blame and shame someone for what we're feeling. Can we just be lovingly present to whatever experiences and sensations are showing up inside of us and not judge those Mm. and be with those without having to turn someone into our enemy or our saviour? That's unconditional love. And that's completely relevant to everything happening on the planet right now. Yeah, like people are feeling stuff and then they're going against this or going against that in the name of religion sometimes, (laughs) which is just a fucking joke. Yeah. And, and so when you look at things from a perspective of loving yourself unconditionally, you know, self-love is so warped. Yeah, it's so overused. <laughs> oh, now my too. God, it drives me crazy. I feel like Coca-Cola is going to come out with a marketing campaign soon about self-love. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so, it's, it's, it's now lost its meaning, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. What's another word we can use? Is there another term? That... It's, it's loving what's showing up without any agenda to fix it. Mm, I love that. 
or you know, I mean, fight it's a little long, but I like the I like the intention. Yeah, of it maybe, maybe like you can work on finding it smaller. I'll work, I'll work on because it. for me, like the the deepest mining of my heart, mm-hmm. the deepest practice I can ever have is in those moments when I want to just fucking scream at my kids and shake them. Mm-hmm. In those moments when I want to tell my beloved you're a fucking prick and mm. shame him and blame him because of what I'm feeling, mm. can I pause and can I feel it anyway, <sighs> right? Because that's, that's the real work. We yeah. don't want to feel our pain. It's hard. And then when we shut off to our pain, we also shut off to our pleasure. So what I see a lot Ooh. of is all of these tantra teachers mm-hmm. offering pleasure codes, you know, What's and a pleasure code? What like, you know, this is how you feel your pleasure. This is how you become orgasmic. Got it. And, and actually, you know, my eight-week online course, Sacred Sexuality, mm-hmm. majority of it is can you feel your womb? Mm-hmm. Can you open your heart? Mm-hmm. Can you feel what's real? Because it's only when you can feel it all. You know, being a woman is feeling everything fully. And then we can become orgasmic, actually. And, and it's not easy. Like, it's made to look easy. I, it took me probably three years before I could sit comfortably with someone and experience true intimacy, where mm. I felt safe to express what I truly desired, wow. where I felt safe to say no. And, and that's, that's, that's that truth I was talking about applied to sexuality. Do you feel safe even around unsafe people? Yes. Wow. Because I trust myself and my own integrity. Mm. And I think, you know, when I see people at retreats going, oh, I can't pair up with that person. Yeah. Because they're not safe. That's something I hear often, right? They're attracting that Mm. because they don't feel safe. Like when I didn't feel safe, I'd always be the one to get paired with that sleazy guy. (laughs) Right? Because I couldn't say no. There was a knot in my body that held a belief Mm. that my safety was dependent on another. So, Mm. of course, I I attracted that in, you know. Okay. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Here you go. You can't feel safe because you've got someone not safe. And then once I busted through that, I don't attract that at all anymore. Actually, no one is ever intruding on my energy field. Wow. I've become unfuckwithable, you know. Uh, That's my favorite (laughs) word. That's my ultimate goal. I'm definitely on a whole healing journey here. And I'm just excited. We've crossed paths. I went to, I mean, I went to one of your workshops recently and had kind of a similar experience where well first of all when I first came to Bali I could not even like look men in the eyes Mm -hmm. and I think I've shared this with you before because I was I you know spent time in New York and LA and I'm so used to being on and seeing people and being seen with a mask on and I mastered that and I could rock a room I could be the center of attention I could everything you know a social butterfly but when it came down to who Lauren really is, I don't, there's like three people who knew me mm-hmm. and uh, I never felt safe mm-hmm. in those environments. So mm-hmm. I got to Bali and things were different here. Mm-hmm. People, at least in Ubud, you know, people look you in the eyes and they, there's less masks here. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like you get judged if you wear a mask. Like it's yeah. weird. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Instead like of weird. the other way around, yeah. which is usual, right? Yeah. Like, it forced me to rip it off, and Mm. that was horrible. I mean, it's been a really uncomfortable journey for me, stepping back into who I am, recognizing for how long I've been inauthentic Mm -hmm. to myself, like, Mm -hmm. since I was maybe seven years old, to Mm -hmm. be honest, Mm -hmm. Um, which is about the time of second grade where you started really your 
indoctrination training mm-hmm, in the school mm-hmm. system. And uh, anyway, so I've done my own healing, and then now I've ended up sort of in your your sphere, your world, which is next level mm-hmm. <laughs> learning intimacy. And uh, yeah, so you you had us do this really cool exercise where there was what like twenty people in the room, and we walk around, and we you stop us, and we find a partner, and we look in that person's eyes, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a man there. And I thought he was attractive, but I wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I could see you watching me. <laughs> and it felt really scary. And I was doing the thing. I was giggling. Mm-hmm. I was uncomfortable. And then I moved to seduction because that was my next thing mm-hmm. to feel safe. And um, But I didn't know. I actually... To be honest, and I heard you saying you were navigating the room and you were giving us permission. You were saying, if it doesn't feel good, you said, uh, you know, touch each other's bodies in like a way that if you're children and you first saw a body, like very uh, jovial and uh, childlike. And you were giving us permission to to say no if we just didn't want to be interact. I am still so disconnected from my body. Mm -hmm. I don't actually even know what I want. Mm -hmm. And that was such a... I don't know. It's just an interesting... It's where I'm at right now. It's such an mm-hmm. interesting experience. I don't mm-hmm. actually know where I'm going with any of this story. Well, I mean, when, when I saw you, that's why, you know, I really wanted you to come to the retreat. And I'm uh-huh. so excited you're coming mm. because, you know, you kind of need to enter a village, a new village, you know, of people where you start to discover and experiment with touch mm-hmm. because we need to be retrained right. and have these opportunities so you probably went into a freeze response partially and you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't say no, which a lot of us do. So, you know, we have to understand the layers of the nervous system. Mm. We have to understand the different states that we go to and how to bring ourselves into a state where we can express our truth. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really passionate about in all of my online courses, retreats that I run, is empowering people to actually have awareness of what's going on in the body and then have solid practices where that they can apply to unwind a lot of the blockages and free up their voice mm. and free free up their beings to to be themselves. Yeah. It's it's not it's not easy and I think a lot of people they make it look like, you know, come to this retreat, read this book and your life will be changed forever. It's fucking bullshit. It's about putting it into practice daily. Yeah, yeah. And all of my courses have a daily practice. And Tantra, what I love about Tantra, it's for everyday people in everyday life. Mm. And when I came across Tantra, I was looking for good Tantra books that had practices in them that I could understand. And, you know, I I had Osho's Book of Secrets and Vigyam Bharav Tantra and, you know, I had to fucking decode them and I didn't know how to apply them. So I've kind of, I've synthesized my personal development background, philosophy, psychology, even my corporate world um, and somatic training with Tantra and come up with a model that I feel everyday people can use in everyday life so that they can They've got a formula for communication. Beautiful. In the bedroom and out of the bedroom. Because most people, they don't know how to ask for what they need. They don't know how to say no. And imagine if before you had a lover even, Mm -hmm. like something simple is you both communicate what you desire, Mm -hmm. what your boundaries are, and what this interaction means to you. Mm -hmm. Instead of lights out, drunk, let's fuck, and there's assumptions made. 
you know, usually the man's assuming this is just one night. The woman's assuming it's going to be a relationship at some level. Oh my God, totally. You know? But you know, even your intro helped me tremendously because you gave me that space to acknowledge my awkwardness and my we talked about it a little bit later and 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 so so then I had the intellectual awareness that I don't fully ever know what I want and I need to check in more so that I can then use my voice Mm -hmm. in the moment Mm -hmm. not after the fact but that's hard to do because you often are going into a stress response right which is why I'm so excited you're coming Because you'll learn about the nervous system, you know. But I wanted to tell you that I had a win recently, even right. after this, uh-huh. which was I met a guy and um, we there was sexual attraction and we were kissing and I felt he was attractive. I felt interested in him, but it wasn't a fuck yeah, full body yes. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. as a woman when you really uh-huh. like want. Um and I kind of just, again, didn't know. It was that same feeling of not knowing. So it got to a position where lights are off. And, of course, man, it wants sex. And I, for the first time in my life, had this full awareness of my patterning. Mm-hmm. Which is that a lot of times I sometimes just end up doing things that I that are not 100% full body yes mm-hmm, for me, just mm-hmm. to please mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and in this moment, I, I had a pattern interruption where I just told him honestly, it was like, hey, we just met. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to sleep together? Mm-hmm. Can we just get to know each other? Maybe mm-hmm. we can just act like 13-year-olds, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, can we just cuddle? How does that feel for you? And that was a pattern interrupt for him. Mm-hmm. And even though maybe his body wanted something different in the moment, he was thanking me. And he said, thank you. I actually um, I actually don't know why I always – it's, like, automatic for me to just mm-hmm. go to this. And to be honest, I don't ever really want to have a relationship or even friendship with the woman after I do it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then she gets mad and then I feel guilty and it's this whole wow. cycle. And he's like, I would actually love that. So we decided – to do that and I felt so happy about it and now we have a friendship and it's just so much healthier and it was because I honored myself yeah good for you and I feel so empowered about this uh-huh. and I'm 33 years old mm. <laughs> this is like one of the first times I've really done this oh that this. makes this- me so happy <laughs> that's amazing because you know like think of how many times when you're young you don't want to do something yeah. and your parents say say hello to this person or I remember I had this auntie who was extremely overweight, like I'm talking huge. Mm -hmm. She was always dripping in sweat, (laughs) bright red face, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to kiss her or have her hug me because she would squeeze me and she always smelt and would get me all wet. So I'm like, I don't want to. And she's like, don't offend her. And she's squeezing my hand. But this is, that's just one example of like, we are taught that, we need to caretake other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. That if we're going to upset them. As women more so than men, you think? Men, no. I feel like it's strong with men. I think a lot of men, like we tolerate sexually, mm-hmm. they tolerate a lot out of the bedroom. Mm, you know, sense, yeah. they'll, they'll go out when they don't really feel like it. Yeah. Or do something that the woman does because they, they don't, don't want to avoid her. confrontation For of sure. her emotional body firing <laughs> up. So Tantra is really about getting honest, you know, mm. first honest with ourselves by, by actually feeling, witnessing, seeing, 
the emotional body and the sensations that are showing up. It's like our body's constantly telling us. And I love, you know, you talking about that fuck yes, because it's like, is my animal a yes? Is my heart a yes? Is my consciousness or my mind a yes? Mm -hmm. And how many people are having sex or going into relationships where those three aren't a fuck yes, because we don't know that we have a right to be a full body yes. I feel like most people, at least people I've known in my life, everything that they go into is intellectualized. Mm -hmm. So even partners, does this person make enough money? Will it help my status? Mm -hmm. Do we get along enough? Do, Do I like his family? I mean, it's less about the body and more about the mind. Why is that? Do you have any thoughts? Well, like, because what is that? the mind is put as superior mm-hmm. from the time we start kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, think about our education system. Mm-hmm. How do we learn primarily? We get given all of this information mm-hmm. and then how well we can spew that information back right. is where we get our worth from. The standardized testing and all yeah. that stuff. How is Steiner different though? Do oh. they teach it completely differently? Wow, Steiner's fucking amazing. It's Well, for starters, no marks are given. Mm. There's no competition in mm. Steiner schools. And you strengthen the strengths instead of the weaknesses. Mm. So as a Steiner, as a Steiner trained teacher, I've learned about the temperaments, for instance. What's that? So there's four different temperaments. Mm-hmm. A choleric temperament is a child who's very willful and strong and determined. That's me. That's me too. <laughs> Melancholic is those, you know, those kind of floaty children who are really good at art Mm -hmm. and a bit more inward, Mm -hmm. right? And they're often the geniuses Mm -hmm. or the really artistic ones. Mm -hmm. Bit strange, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Phlegmatic children are very relaxed and chill and easygoing. And then sanguine is like, the kind of ADD kids. (laughs) And we're, we've all got all of them inside of us, mm-hmm. but we're primarily one. And mm. often children are shamed mm. instead of like, so for instance, for just say you're a color. If you, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so for instance, you're, if you were a choleric child and you're in my classroom, mm-hmm. instead of saying, don't be so bossy, Lauren, mm-hmm. or, you know, just let someone else lead because choleric's are always the leader. I would say, I love the way that you use your leadership skills mm-hmm. um, and you know, put you in a group where you get to fully express that. Mm. Or like if you are in shadow with it or mm-hmm. overexpressing it, I would point out that virtue and say, you know, I love how expressive you are. Mm-hmm. And can you just let Bobby talk, you know, who may be more melancholic. It's kind of a good um, strategy just to use in communication in general, right? If you're mm. working with somebody on anything, I'm trying, like thinking about projects recently, if I'm disagreeing with somebody over creative things, I don't say that idea is shit or I don't like your idea or this idea is better. Mm-hmm. I've learned and I've trained. I usually can come to resolution with them and have a better product mm-hmm. if I'm like, hey, I really love this idea. Mm-hmm. I love your creativity here mm-hmm. and your boldness. What if we just tweaked it this way? What if uh-huh. we just did it this way? It's kind mm-hmm. of a similar type of thing, right? Well, because for every virtue, there's a vice, mm-hmm. you know, and if we focus on the vice, we, we can encourage, you know, we can, we can say to children and bringing in a little bit more peacefulness will be great right now, mm-hmm. for instance. 
The other, the other thing about Steiner schools are there's so many things. You have the same child for seven years, which means you really get to Is know that child. Is it teacher you do? Yeah. Wow. And That's also really there's a natural rhythm to the day of contraction and expansion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're using their mind for an hour and then they're doing something artistic. Mm. You know, then they're using their mind again and then they're moving their bodies. Mm. And the rooms are set up with colour and silk and, you know, it's, it's, it's much more creative. There's a stronger connection to nature and ritual. Songs are used mm. throughout the day. So it's really, and, and it's appealing to the different phases. Mm. So, you know, the first seven years, they're more in their will. So as teachers, we know that and we really honour that. Mm. From seven to 14, they're more in the feeling realm. Mm. So we're working more with the feeling body. And then from 14 to 21, that's when the thinking realm is really mm. being developed. Whereas in normal education, it's just the thinking realm mm-hmm. that's been given attention to. So, I, you know, I could talk about that for hours. I love learning Because I about love it. Steiner education so much. And it really, it honours the soul within the human body and says, you have a unique soul. Let's, let's really let that flourish. And when I was studying, we went around to a lot of different, like, communities like, you know, old age homes that were more Steiner and there was so much more joy there because really? old people are a lot like children, right? Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, but what do you mean they're more like Steiner? There was like Steiner caretakers there or... Yeah, and there was like bright colours mm. and a rhythm to their day that mm. included music and creativity and beauty and an and, and honouring of the unique spark of each person's heart mm-hmm. instead of this robotic way of dealing with children and the elderly yeah. that just doesn't take that into account. Yeah. And, and the other thing we did was meet people who had gone through Steiner education and seen what they created. Because there's so much originality, businesses that are created. What are some top ones you could think of off the top of your head that were inspiring or memorable? Oh, like this one guy developed a community mm-hmm. where everyone was living there mm-hmm. and it was completely self-sufficient like food sustainable uh-huh, food uh-huh. solar power which 20 years ago that was pretty out there i mean right? it's, now yeah. it's become more popular it's more popular but still mm-hmm. pretty fucking cool yeah another woman she she had this amazing restaurant mm. where she was bringing all biodynamic farming which mm. is something that Steiner's into into mm. her food there was a there was someone a famous author i can't remember their name who went to mainstream school and was called like you know branded as being someone with not enough intellectual capacity to go on to the next grade Mm. but they were amazing writers Mm. so with Steiner it's like instead of going you have to be great at all these other subjects let's focus on this and then they became a famous author but if they hadn't gone to Steiner all of those things that were weaknesses would have been worked on you know feels almost like it's a tantric way mm-hmm. in a sense because it's seeking deeper truth of of our beings in totality rather mm-hmm. than it's so funny just listening you're not the first person i've met that is uh, a steiner initiate is that what it's called or steiner trained mm-hmm. uh, and i'm just so fascinated learning about it because mm-hmm. i went to public school i had the completely normal opposite experience mm-hmm. and it was hell it felt mm-hmm. like a prison mm-hmm. and it was horrible mm-hmm. and it's not it fair it makes me very sad that this is how most people at least in america um they live mm-hmm. uh and it's like why does it have to be this way mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah why? we're just trying to shape it's it's as though children are robots yeah exactly and we're just like inputting all of this data exactly. so that that robot can act a certain way and it's like and it also makes me feel like when you talk about how steiner 
is uh, is constructed, it makes me feel like there's a net below. No one can fall. Mm-hmm. Everyone's sort of caught and then nurtured. Is maybe you're like a little. Everyone's a seed. Mm-hmm. There's a net. No one falls, and then you're nurtured so that you can mm-hmm. grow. But it feels like normal life. You're just on a. You're on a thin line rope mm-hmm. and you're walking and if you fall, oh fucking well. <laughs> you fell through the cracks, yeah. you're on welfare, you end up in the in the prison system. Who gives a fuck? And it's Nobody so cares. stressful. It's like all this pressure to get the right marks, all this pressure to get into uni and to do all the right things. You know, I homeschooled my daughter. Mm. She's the most incredible 17-year-old. Mm. You know, she's got, she lives on land, she's got horses and animals, she's doing what she loves and I think that what we need in the world is leaders, not followers. Yeah. And Steiner really supports that and Tantra really supports that mm. because what Tantra's saying is who are you mm-hmm. without your conditioning? And then we can get to the soul, mm-hmm. you know, when we start to strip away that conditioning, we're stripping away those masks. I love that and I want to ask you something else related to that. It's conversations that I've been having with a lot of friends here in Bali about mm-hmm. this idea of guru and, and, and you know what's happening – I wonder if you've seen it in the spiritual community. There's so much. Okay, we're having a spiritual awakening. Yoga is in the masses. People are, uh, it's like less weird to be spiritual now than it kind of ever has been, right? Mm -hmm. But with that said, people are still sort of like, it's like they're taking, they're rejecting religion as their leader. And now they're moving over to whoever their spiritual guru of choice is. So maybe it's a kundalini teacher, maybe it's Osho, maybe it's a tantric teacher, mm-hmm. maybe it's somebody else. How do, uh, are you seeing that trend happening? How do you get people to enter, in, people who start on a spiritual path, how do you ensure that they don't just become followers on a spiritual path too, mm-hmm. on their path to trying to become a leader. Does mm-hmm. that make any sense? It's a great question and there's a few sides to it. I think that unfortunately a lot of people who don't have a guru or a teacher, mm-hmm. they don't know how to commit to the practice without that, mm-hmm. right? So I see the benefit of it in terms of like true devotees mm-hmm. They enter the spiritual path at a path at a depth that I don't often see mm. otherwise. So an example, people who I like I know someone who studied with the Dalai Lama for mm. a while, like that type of thing. You're saying there's Yeah, value like Osho Sinyasins and you know, people who have worked with teachers for a long period of time. Because what I see in spirituality is a lot of shopping. You know, mm. it's like, oh, I'm going to go to a breathwork night. Then I'm going to do a kundalini yoga class and I'm going to do a tantra weekend. So it's kind of superficial. They're not even getting into the depth of it. Yeah, they're, they're just like trying to find a magic pill. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there is so much to be said for being held in one tradition, mm-hmm. at least for a period of time. Because when you're held by one tradition, your shit's going to come up. Mm-hmm. And then instead of escaping from that, mm-hmm. it's kind of like choosing one partner, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> you, you've got nowhere to run. You have to keep diving. Yeah. I, I am somewhere in the middle. I like to – I don't like it when people start to put me as a guru. Mm-hmm. And I think that 95% of the time, you know, they don't because I show my humanness. Mm-hmm. I think this is a problem with gurus Mm. you know they're acting infallible Mm -hmm. they're not sharing stories about their own shadows Mm -hmm. their own hardships and they're not acting human right right? so then people get the message that it's not okay to be human Mm. so I like to be as human as possible 
I don't act any differently around my students than I act in my everyday life. This I don't is, modify myself. This is why I was so wildly attracted to you because I thought this person is a person, but this person is has a wild amount of wisdom and teachings much more superior to the average human and the average teacher in the spiritual realm and yet yeah you're still you're still fallible you still you still say the word fuck you still <laughs> you're very and I still have like, my yes. shit days and I'll yeah. talk about that I love you it. know <laughs> of course I do and and I think if if someone's living in the world mm-hmm. and they're working with a guru who's not having relationships mm-hmm. who's pretty much meditating all day Where's the relatability? Mm-hmm. Where's that space of being able to take the teachings into everyday life? It's going to be more difficult, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's important to choose a teacher that you trust mm-hmm. and humble yourself before that teacher and the practices within the lineage that that teacher is offering. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the students who work with me, mm-hmm. who experience the most transformation, mm-hmm. are committed to the practices mm-hmm. and committed to being my students for a while, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I attract a lot of that. And then there's the students who come and go mm-hmm. and they're more the shoppers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I trust that their own transformation will happen and that maybe there's not that resonance or maybe they're just not ready. It's like Tantra isn't a path for everyone. Mm. It's Why not, is that? People just aren't ready for that depth or what? Well, it's not the type of path you can just dip your toes into, mm. you know. It's it's the path that you need to dive in. Mm. You need to f- be willing to feel the waves like fully and witness them. Deep sea diving or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, do I have the courage to really know myself? Mm. It's hard to feel those waves and then ask for what you need instead of running or fighting mm. or withdrawing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to risk being a fool, Mm -hmm. to risk rejection, Mm -hmm. you know. But the road less travelled is the road that takes you into leaving the legacy you're here to leave on the planet, Mm. at least according to Raven, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not interested in the – I I feel like it's a fast train sometimes, but but for me there's always that question of like, okay, how can I pause right now, take the breath deeper – check out what's really going on in there underneath the story and then feel the deepest vulnerability that can be shared in this Mm. moment, either with my own soul or with another. Mm. I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling right now? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I feel I really enjoy being with you I feel really seen I feel like it's an honest open conversation and I feel like I get to just really be myself Thank you. I stopped sweating so I think I'm less intimidated by you <laughs> yeah, I really I really like your energy and I you know stayed at your house last night and it's beautiful here in Ubud surrounded by beautiful trees staying in a treetop house it's like the magic here is incredible so I'm, I'm feeling the magic and I'm also feeling you know my daughter is in Australia I can't be with her right now mm. and she just she moved house last night all by herself, mm. packed up our old house and there, there's that wish that I could be there for her and sadness around that. And then at the same time, this deep trust that she's receiving the initiation that mm. she needs to receive. So, mm. you know, I feel like these days there's, 
there's so much to be felt and experienced, but I'm not trying to make it better anymore. Do you have a practice that you could give to people? Mm-hmm. So a couple steps or something for them to maybe do something when they wake up in the morning or uh, mm-hmm. just quick things that we get to feel, to learn how to feel. So the first thing I'll say, the greatest practice anyone could ever do is when something's tough to feel, mm-hmm. instead of going to an addiction like or any avoidance or, strategies, right. love addiction, phone addiction, sex addiction, food. drug addiction, food addiction, whatever it is, mm-hmm. Realize that, first of all, addictions are never the problem. They're, yeah. the solu- they're, they're our attempt to solve the problem. The right. problem is we can't be with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the best practice that I can suggest is in those moments when it's difficult to feel, just breathe into the belly. Breathe into your body and just go, it's okay, you know. Yeah, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. Fair enough. That's valid. I can just be there. You know, healing is so close when we can just show up and be lovingly present with whatever's there. We cause the fucking problems through our resistance. It's so tragically comical how actually simple the solutions mm. are, but they're so difficult. Mm-hmm. What is simple is always most profound, as my father <laughs> used to always say to me. And, and, you know, that space of being lovingly present with what is means that when we can be lovingly present with another. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people, when I'm hanging out with them, they'll just cry and they won't know why when they start talking to me. You know? <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. And it's because when love is present, anything that's not mm, love shows up to be up. healed. Mm. And I can just sit with that instead of going, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Or trying to solve it. Yeah. And, and I think that that's such an important practice is loving presence. And then, you know, every morning, you know, what I like to do, and sometimes I still wake up anxious, you know, and there may be something unresolved within my being or I'm missing my children. I won't know what it is, but instead of resisting the anxiety, which I used to do and go, why am I feeling anxious? And trying to overcome that mm-hmm. and go and meditate on the mat and, you know, really concentrate I'm just like, okay, I'm curious. Mm, What's I here? Love, I love so it's like, get curious, curious you I know, love breathe into it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, no matter what you're feeling in the morning, what's going to really charge your batteries? So, you know, if you have a partner, try making love first thing in the morning mm. and see how that feels. That's a practice in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing some yoga. Uh, deity worship is a beautiful practice that I love where you focus on a goddess or a god and you become one with that god or goddess and who's really your, bring their energy into your own being. Who's your favorite god or goddess? Does it kind of change? It on changes. Your day? At the moment, I'm really working with Parvati mm. and the energy of Parvati, who's um, you know, the goddess of love and devotion. Mm. So so yeah, it's it's ever changing. I remember I went through a stage of worshipping Durga mm-hmm. and just transfiguring with her, looking into her eyes, calling her energy in. And it was when I was really working on my boundaries. And, you know, she's this fierce goddess riding on a lion <laughs> and she's got like eight arms and they've all got different <laughs> weapons. And, and I really felt the power of that. And Tantra is about becoming a god and a goddess. Mm-hmm. It's about, yes, realizing our humanness. But the irony is that when we embrace that, we actually realize our divinity. In that. I love it's a, such a paradox. It's so juicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What else is there? Anything else you want to share that you feel just 
I guess just a whisper to the to the audience, like if you can close your eyes and hear my words that you you are a goddess, you are a god in all of your humanness and you have strength and power in your vulnerability. You are beautiful and it's okay to feel everything. It's okay to feel pleasure. It's okay to feel your longing. It's okay to rage. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be wherever you are. And I also just would love to share with you that no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult life might be right now, it's, it's all here for a reason and life is painful at times. You're never going to be able to change that. Life is amazing sometimes. Welcome that. See what it's like to allow life to be your greatest teacher, to humble yourself before her and to recognize the perfection of the peaks, of the valleys by just being lovingly present to it all, not needing anything to be any different. Here you are. Here you are. Here you are. You don't have to do anything with any of it. And by just feeling it all, letting go of resistance, there won't be suffering anymore. It's not pain that creates suffering, it's our resistance to it. It's not pleasure that disconnects us from God. It's our attachment to the pleasure always being there that disconnects us from God. Can you feel pleasure without attachment to it always being there? Can you feel pain without resistance? This is when you're a living, breathing embodiment of the goddess energy, of the God energy that can be with whatever sensation and experience is appearing and knowing that that too is divine, that too is God, that too is goddess. And here we are as gods and goddesses playing in the game of life. Can you feel it all? Can you be in the waves and witness the waves at the same time? Much love to all of you on this journey called life. Thank you for that. Mm. It was so beautiful. Mm. I just want to say I'm really excited. I'm going to your week-long retreat. And I want to share with any listeners out there, for anyone who's not in Bali, uh, if you look in the show notes, you can see Chantal Raven's website and her embodied awakening academy and you can go and do her courses uh wherever you are in the world on your own which i highly recommend um what else do you have going on is there anything else you'd like to share well just there's lots of free resources too so Mm -hmm. the online courses are very in-depth they're eight-week courses with video and meditations and demonstrations and a huge manual 
So, you know, if you're ready for that, then go for it. Mm. There's a different online course for sexuality, relationships, power, soul-centered business. So check it out. And if you're not ready for a deep, deep dive, then check out the blogs. There's, we've got podcasts that are awesome as well. Yeah, I love well. your podcast with Erin. Yeah. So we'll follow up. I, uh, I'm probably going to follow up and invite you and Erin on a, on a later podcast mm-hmm. because I want everyone to meet you and your partner and see mm-hmm. how that and see how one can use Tantra uh, to have a deeper relationship mm-hmm. because I think that that, or they can also check out your podcast <laughs> and yeah. learn about and it. And for single <laughs> people out there, Tantra is the key to attracting an amazing relationship. Mm. Like it really is because it supports you to become one with yourself and fully embrace yourself, which is absolutely what's necessary for healthy relationships. Mm. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome, darling. Thank you for having me.